Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the text-to-pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. Well, guys, we started a uh, little sermon series on Jonah, the uh, little minor prophet book, but a very famous, probably probably the most famous of the minor prophets. Um, I'm joined today by the one and only Luigi Priolo and also Blake the Snake Rogers. Good to be here. And so... um, what, what would your pro wrestling name be, Blake, if you had one? I mean, Blake the Snake is something I feel like I've been called even when I was a little little guy. On Wait, the, what on was the Jake the Snake's last name? Oh, gosh, I don't was, know. I think it started with an R, Jake the Snake Rogers? Is that know. right? I really don't know. I it wish be, I knew. It, it beats Blake the Fake, right? You don't want to be known as Blake the Fake. Yeah. Y'all got me thinking about Jake the Snake. Roberts. 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 I knew it was uh, similar. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. Uh, like, how about you, Lou? <laughs> Since we're on professional wrestling names, you got you have one that you'd always want to be called? No, never thought about oh, professional man. wrestling. Uh, never? Hulk, Hulk Priolo. The Italian Stallion? I don't okay, know. the Italian Stallion. You know, that's like a real boxer's wow. name. Rocky. Rocky Balboa. All right, well, anyway, we started the uh, little series yesterday on, on uh, Jonah. We're, we're kind of thinking about... Uh, the gospel, the advance of the gospel ahead of our missions conference. Um, so, Lou, I know you had some questions. I think today is going to be the, uh, you're going to channel your inner... Uh, Italian stallion? Yeah, your inner journalist, Lou. And I know you got some questions about the sermon. Well, you have three points to the sermon. <clears throat> the first point, uh, I think, came right out of the text. I had some questions about the second point and the third point. So maybe you should unpack the three points, and then we'll go from there. Well, I think, okay, so in, in, as I wrote this sermon, really what you kind of saw uh, was just like one big point. And mm-hmm. so the, the first kind of big point, the, the idea that I was kind of going after is the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah go and call out against Nineveh. Obviously, Jonah didn't want to do that. And so what do Christians do with the word of the Lord that's come to us? And I wanted people to feel a little bit of the tension. At one point I mentioned in the sermon yesterday, you know, I think that we in missions conference can kind of, um, at least missions conferences that I've been a part of or mission sermons that I've heard, can kind of present taking the, the work of the missionary or the work of the call of the gospel in, in a little bit of an um, uh, inaccurate way, as if we're saying like, hey, look, all these people need, you know, is somebody to go and tell them. But really, if you get out there on the mission field, it's not like people are just like waiting around to hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, most people are resistant to the gospel. And a lot of the context that we haven't reached people yet uh, are people that are not only like resistant to the gospel message, but also like resistant to gospel people. Um, yesterday, of course, Josh Youssef talked about uh, help the persecuted. So, um, and so when God gives us a command, go to scary people, go to people that are very different from you, go to people that might 
persecute you for your faith, how do Christians typically react and how should we react? And so the first point, we avoid it, which is what Jonah did. And, and Jonah actually, not only did Jonah ignore the word of the Lord, he ran from the voice of the Lord. He, mm-hmm. he was trying to get out of God's jurisdiction, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, he was trying to escape hearing from God. Um, the second point I talked about was we can colonize people. Now, that is not in the text, right? Um, this is just mostly an observation of how have Christians responded to the Great Commission. And so we have avoided it, right? And, and probably most American Christians are kind of guilty of that. I mean, mm-hmm. we don't think about the nations enough. We, we aren't obedient to the Great Commission enough. Um, we, um, we have a ton of resources, and we've left a lot of work that God's called us to undone. So we, we avoid it, but we have, throughout church history, we've seen colonization. But then I think the right response when um, the word of the Lord comes to us and says, go to these people, is to identify with them and to identify with them as a fellow sinner in need of a Savior. And that's what I was trying to, 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 to pull out. And I think that, that Jonah, at least in chapter 2, understands that salvation comes from the Lord and not from his own prophecy and not from his own righteousness. But as we're going to see, Jonah's not really a great missionary. Um, he doesn't really have mm-hmm. a lot. You know, if you can't compare like Lottie Moon and Jonah, where, you know, Lottie Moon in the end is like literally giving of her food in a famine in China to save the people and then dies because she starves to death. And Jonah, who is up on a tree pouting about his dead plant, um, you know, one mm-hmm. is more, I would say, the way of Christ and, and one is not. So Jonah is not a model of a missionary, though clearly in chapter two, his heart is moved uh, mm-hmm. toward at least... God's salvation, whether he's ever compassionate or not toward the Ninevites, um, I probably, he probably, probably is not, but he at least sees the salvation comes from the Lord. So anyway. Yeah. And, and like to the first point, one of the things that um, when I was teaching students that like, and, and preparing to teach students came out, it was like Jonah, he disobeyed God's initial call to go to Nineveh uh, because he didn't want to go among this idol worshiping city. And yet he ends up on a boat with a bunch of people who worship different idols trying so, to go to a place where they worship different idols. Right. Yeah. And, you know? and so it's, um, you know, it's interesting that, that even though, um, you know, God was going to place him where he was and that was going to be in a godless, a Yahweh less, uh, boat or a Yahweh less city. And yet his responsibility should have been just to remain faithful there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? It, it's interesting. Jonah in, Jonah became guilty of his own kind of idolatry. Mm-hmm. In, in running away from these idol worshipers, he really became an idol worshiper. Mm-hmm. He, he was worshiping himself. He, uh, he became like the very thing that yeah, he exactly hated. Right. Yeah, yeah, so interesting. And, and to me, the interesting thing is um, to consider whether or not these shipmen, these sailors, actually got saved because they did worship God and made commitments to Him. They made vows to Him. It really reminds me of uh, the passage in Second Corinthians, chapter two. Let me let me read it, and then maybe we'll unpack it for a minute. Paul says, "When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord." My spirit was not at rest, and I did not, because I did not find my brother Titus. 
So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. So God opens a door for ministry, right? Kind of like Job, except the reasons why he didn't go through the door are different than, than Jonah, not Job, Jonah. You know, so God opens the door and he doesn't go through it. Now, <clears throat> Jonah apparently hated the Ninevites, so it's a little different motivation. But to me, it's the next few verses that are fascinating. He says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us through, or in triumph, through the procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the, uh, the fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. The, to one the fragrance of death to death, the other the fragrance of life to life. Who's sufficient for these things? And so he basically says, look, God opened the door. I didn't go through it. But when I got to where I was going, God used me there. It's like we have this treasure in earthen vessels, right? I've got the gospel. My heart is to preach the gospel wherever I go. And God used me in this other place, even though I didn't go through the door that he wanted me to go through. And I hear Jonah, on the, on the other hand, rebels. And still in his rebellion, God is glorified, um, even though he was out of God's will, even though he was running away from the Lord. So to me, it's a, it's a great comfort to know that if my motives are right, as presumably Paul's, he didn't leave because he was disobedient. He left because he was lonely or depressed or something, and he wanted some fellowship. And so to me, if our motives are right, God uses us wherever we are to glorify him. Well, and sometimes God can use us even if our motives are wrong. That's true. I mean, so Jonah's motives are wrong. <clears throat> God used him. I think of like Philippians 1. Some of you guys are preaching because, right. you know, you love the gospel. Some are just preaching out of spite. Whatever, the gospel's being preached. And I rejoice. Yeah. And so Jonah, but how did Jonah preach? How did Jonah preach to um, the people on the boat? And I would argue he preached to the pr people on the boat by displaying to them the, the, the terrible consequences of sin. Yeah. Well, right? he did That's answer right. their questions, honestly, apparently. You know, he told them who he was and that he was running away from the Lord. So I Yeah, mean, and then they saw, uh, right? oh gosh, like, you better not run away from the Lord. And, mm -hmm. and they tried, they tried to, you know, not have to throw him in the sea, and it didn't work, and they threw him in the sea, and immediately the sea calms down. And so, and, so and, and that's what I was saying. You were talking about, like, can you really say that, you know, Jonah was compassionate or whatever. And I, I don't know that I was trying to say that Jonah was such a good guy, but here's, here's what I am trying to say. Jonah was able to identify with the Ninevites because what was the message that God said to go tell the Ninevites? My judgment is going to come upon mm -hmm. you. Okay. And then Jonah experienced the very same judgment as he was sinking in the sea. And I said this at one point in the sermon, as he was sinking in the sea, he's feeling the weight of the judgment. He was fighting for every breath. The, it, it says, you know, the, 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 the weeds of the sea were wrapping around him. He was choking him out. This is all in chapter two. And he's feeling the very judgment of God that God told him to call out um, to the Ninevites. And then he realized salvation comes from the Lord and God saved him. Well, then in chapter three, we'll get to there this week, but in chapter three, what happens? Jonah doesn't the Ninevites don't feel the judgment of God. They just hear of the judgment of God, right? Which is better, right? It's, 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 it's better to hear of God's judgment and repent than actually experience God's judgment and, mm -hmm. you know, and repent. Um, and so they hear of it and they call out in repentance and of course God saves them too. 
And so really, chapter 1 and 2 and chapter 3 are the same story. One's for a rebellious man. One's for a rebellious people. Um, they both experience in one way or the other the judgment of God. And then, of course, they're both saved by God's grace. Um, and and that's, I think that's what I was trying to say is that in that way, if you're going to be a good missionary, you, 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 have to, you can't go out in a colonializing, behave-like-me kind of way. You have to go out in a, I've experienced the grace of God, and He is the only one who can save. And, um, and hopefully when people see that and hear that from you, they'll respond you know, through, in faith. Blake was saying earlier that, you know, God can't use someone until they've experienced death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, and you, you kind of said this at the beginning of the sermon yesterday. Some people think that Jonah was like in the belly of the whale, like you might read in a children's story and you see him in the belly of the fish with like a little like Geppetto or a and, Pinocchio. Yeah. yeah. And like, and then other people think he actually like died. I think a natural reading of this text lends itself to thinking like, okay, this joker was dead. Right. You, you know, you, you don't see the, the narrative or the, you don't see this paradigm in the scripture of people going into the sea for three days in the fish and not dying. But you do see a God who raises the dead. Yeah. Like you see that over and over in the scriptures. And so I think, you know, one of the things, whether he died or not, I think he did. Um, but he I, could not have. Well, God we don't could know. have kept we can, him alive. We, we don't it would know. Not, the Bible, the text doesn't say. Lou, you said the text doesn't lend itself to this. But Matthew you know, when he's talking about the sign of Jonah, Matthew 12, verse 40, he says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be in three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And, like, yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, think, I just think, like, you know, this joker mm. died. And I think, I think it's important, actually. I don't think it's just a... I, I think Jonah experienced a death and resurrection. I think the God of the Bible was one who raises men from the dead and then uses them for great things. And I think, you know, Matthew, looking back on... does the text say that he died? I don't think it does. The text in Jonah. Why would you... I love this talk back. But uh, why would you ever read about a man who was in the sea for three days and eaten by a fish and not naturally assume that this joker was dead because the text doesn't say and he was praying and he did repent i mean it, no, the, no, no, the no. text I, has him alive speaking to god and repenting in the belly of the fish right there, but, there was there was some time where jonah was repenting he was reflecting right so like yeah i mean i'm sure as he had we well, i read, don't think jonah was writing this while no. in the belly of the fish. <laughs> it was not he was reflecting on this experience uh, that he went through of rebelling against god these great circumstances that God used to lead him to repentance, which also included him being thrown into the sea. You see, his rebellion cost him his life. And I, I, don't, I think we ought not miss that because it's true for all of us. Like, his rebellion, God was not satisfied until he was gone. And yet God in his glorious power raised him from the dead so, so, so that he, he re- could be useful <laughs> So he repents the and then God takes him out in the belly of the fish. No, no, no. I see. I think he is repenting. Like I think and that God what take, he's reflecting and God on, takes him out. whether or not he's alive or dead, he is reflecting on, um, you know, as he's dying, 
He's experiencing God's wrath and he is repenting. He is, he is crying out to God for salvation. Mm -hmm. And then he is saved. Now, whether or not he actually experienced the fullness of death, I'll let you guys continue to debate. But, but, um, I think, I, I think the text allows for either. It does. I mean, look, I'm not, yeah, I would not be super dogmatic, but I do think it does. Um, it certainly is a possibility. And Matthew thought it was significant. Oh, it is significant. Yeah. Well, that's so. I mean, why? You know, why is this text in the Bible? I mean, Jonah is as lousy as he is, right? Mm-hmm. Is a, a type of Christ, right? And, and we see that in the New Testament. I mean, th- this. What is what is Jesus saying? Jesus is telling them what he's going to do. He's telling them, "I'm going to die, be buried, mm-hmm. and raised," because he's saying the sign of Jonah. Mm-hmm. is going to happen. And that, that actually lends itself to Blake's point. Like, if Jesus is saying, I'm actually going to die, um, then... I believe so. Yeah. The, the sign of Jonah is, you know, better. But I think it could go either way, because he's at least in the earth, right. as Jonah was in the fish. Right, right. All right, really interesting stuff, guys. This is, this is what the talkback is all about. But I think being thrown into the sea, you were kind of pushing back on that earlier, but like this experience of... I think there's a lot of people that go out in power, and this is kind of to the colonizing point, and they try to colonize Christianity. And Christianity is not something that you can colonize. It's not something you can force people into. Now, of course, we could look through church history and look through the things Mm -hmm. like the Crusades. I think the Franks, for example, is a better example. The Crusades, I don't even know if they wanted the Muslims to actually, quote-unquote, be Christians, or they just wanted them to die and get the access to the Holy Land sites. I mean, that's a very, very dark mark on mm-hmm. um, church history for sure, or Christian history. But, I mean, you go back to the Franks, and basically when they took over, they said, hey, you know, either be baptized or be beheaded. A lot of people got baptized. But um, I don't know that a lot of people became Christians. And I think we can do the same thing today. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not doing that with the sword in the same kind of way. But... I think we can do that in our churches, right? I think a lot of people have been manipulated into baptism, for example. I think we can do that in the way we raise our children. I even, you know, gave some hints at this yesterday. You know, be a good little boy. If you want to be a good little boy, you need Jesus. If you want to be a good little girl, you need Jesus. We're saying to our kids, like, if you want to make your mommy and daddy happy, you need Jesus. And that is, that is to some degree manipulative. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, like, We'll, we'll never be righteous until we have Christ. I understand the intent there, but, but I think we just need to be careful of even how we present the gospel when we're in a position of strength. Um, it can be colonizing. Mm-hmm. Lou? When I think of this concept that you call colonizing, I, I think about the many times I've had the privilege of, of counseling people from other cultures and other who speak other languages and are in the States for one reason or another, then even my trips overseas. Um, I'm very careful um, not to um, not to export American Christianity. I'm constantly asking, in fact, when I counsel people, I'll often ask them questions about their culture before I try to show them how to apply a particular passage of Scripture because I, I think... Um, you know, American Christianity is good in a lot of ways, but it also is bad in a lot of ways. I'll never forget, I was overseas, and I walked into a Christian bookstore, 
And uh, here are all of these books translated by really good guys, right next to books translated by heretics and borderline heretics. And it hit me. It's like, you know, like we've fed the world with good food and bad food. Mm -hmm. America, the United States, has fed the world theologically, and we've exported good stuff and bad stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I just think it's very important that we understand that the scriptures apply across every, uh, every culture. And I think as, as missionaries, we want to be careful not to mess with the culture if the culture is not uh, inherently unbiblical. We don't want Christians all over the world to be American Christians. We want them to be biblical Christians. And it's going to look different in Italy and France and Japan than, it's going to look in the, than it looks in the United States. Yeah, and I think it's even going to look differently based on, you know, your education. Like I was having a good conversation with um, Ben Stubblefield, America's greatest Great pastor. Guy. Maybe maybe the best pastor in America. He pastors in Jackson, Alabama. And, you know, Ben, he's got a PhD in New Testament, Southern Seminary, brilliant guy, um, you know, right up there with Lou Priolo. I'm talking like one of wow. the greats. Upper echelon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but he's in this little town, Jackson, Alabama. There's a lot of factory workers, right? And so, you know, the way, okay, so in a highly educated area like Atlanta, people are asking questions. We understand things like Christian worldview or whatever. There's a, there's a kind of discipleship, um, you know, Blake and I both went to Southern, you know, there's a kind of discipleship that you think, okay, this proves godliness. You know, doctrine, you've read a systematic theology book, mm -hmm. you, you know, you do mm -hmm. this, you do that. But... The way that like spiritual maturity works its way out in a Jackson, Alabama, or in a New York City. Mozambique, or yeah. in a New York City, or in some <clears throat> other place, uh, or in you know a third world country or whatever, is very very different. And I think this is a good point. Like that can be a form of colonizing. You can colonize a Southern Seminary brand of Christianity mm -hmm. or whatever, which actually may not lead to greater spiritual maturity. Um, and yes, yeah, so I think that that's what I was trying to say yesterday is from a position of strength, it's very easy to come in and, and try to press something. You know, this is from the sermon I said, um, where is it? it says, if we aren't careful, uh, we can end up presenting a coercive gospel that leaves people trying to use God to get what they want, but never really knowing God. Um, and I think that's, again, our goal is yeah. we want people to know God. We'll be able to know the power of the gospel because they've experienced the power of the gospel, maybe not as dramatically as Jonah did, um, but in a dramatic way that leaves them changed when they think about their own sin and they think about the salvation that God gives them. Mm. I thought the verse that Graham uh, cited at the end of the sermon before the benediction was really good. He, he just sort of tried to tie that into your point about identification. Paul said, I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means win some. So let's talk about that. That's a nice segue. Mm -hmm. I had the question yesterday. Um, I told the brother that asked it, this would come up on the sermon talk back, and here it is. Boom. Um, he said, how far is too far with identifying? Like, can you identify too much? Like, what would it have meant? Uh, or let's, I, I, I talked about uh, the Jordans, Kevin and Wendy Jordan identifying with the Burmese, like what does it mean for them to identify too much with the Burmese? Um, uh, when we're trying to like win our friends, you know, becoming all things to our friends, what, mm -hmm. does it, what does it mean to identify too much 
or what's the line there? There are some practical guidelines. I, I can answer it, but I'll ask you guys the question. What do you, how would you answer that? Well, um, I think the answer may be different when you're a missionary like Hudson Taylor, who like totally immersed himself in the society and when you're in America trying to reach out to different people in our culture. Um, I do think for us at least, uh, it's possible to identify too much. And I, I think what I mean by that is, you know, as a, I remember years ago when I was first learning how to counsel, one of my professors says, you know, you're, you're constantly trying to help people out of a pit and you have to be careful that as you're extending a hand to them and helping them out that they don't pull you in their pit with them. And so I think there's a sense in which we have to speak the truth in love, that we have to um, you know, always remember what the truth is, that we have to be forbearing and tolerant of people, but not to allow them to influence our thinking away from what the scriptures teach. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I think, <clears throat> you know, when you, when you think about going into a, a different culture. I, I think that you would have to practice your faith within that culture for some time to develop a certain like conscience tolerance regarding the things that goes on, you know? Right. Um, and so like you, point being, you don't ever want to um, sin by uh, eating things that you think are um, or, might be. Or, or, or might be condemned. You, you don't want to do activity participate in things to identify if your conscience doesn't allow. But culture is so, you know, like, where does, we're just so shaped by our culture, right? And so, like, and, and that's true of, of everywhere. So, like, here today, don't sin again. Identify with brothers and sisters in as much as your conscience will allow. Uh, realizing your own fallenness, realizing the goodness of God, and, and just develop a um, conscious tolerance around that. And then also, I think it's more difficult when you go cross-culturally. I think yeah. you just have to immerse yourself in the culture to actually understand what your faith looks like there uh, before you can truly identify with the people. I, I remember one of my first times in Brazil, I used a hand gesture, and my translator, after it was over, said, look, this hand gesture is not what you think it is down here. This is the hand gesture to use. Mm-hmm. And so even even things as simple as that. And then you take syntax. I mean, as English speakers, our thoughts are largely governed by the syntax of the English language, by our rules of grammar. Well, in Italy and France and Japan, the syntax is different. And so their thoughts are actually structured differently because they think in different words than we do. And so, again, I think as you as you go overseas, as you learn the culture, as you learn the language, you realize that there are different, maybe even better ways of expressing things than um, we do in English. Now, the fact of the matter is, our dictionary is ginormous compared to most other dictionaries. I remember one time in Italy, I was speaking with with a translator, and I I said something, and the translator keeps on going on, like several sentences, and I look at him, and I jokingly said, did I say all that? He said, yeah, you kind of did. The thing is, in, in Italian, <clears throat> the same word for justification is the word for righteousness, and so I can't just use the word. I have to actually explain yeah. which which one, um, which what the nuance of the uh, word was. 
Anyway. Lou, Lou man, you're blowing up right now. <clears throat> Sorry about that, guys. Have you ever used the silent feature on your phone? Yeah, maybe I should okay. put it on. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, and, and really what I was hopefully thinking about yesterday is, is we really identify with people for, as one broken sinner to another, right? Mm-hmm. It's not when we're doing the work of evangelism and we're doing the work of, um, uh, of being a missionary, we, we don't, you know, even Paul like says this throughout the New Testament, remember guys, remember what you used to be like, right? And in good Christian work, we identify with people not in sin, but but as sinners, as people that, um, and so I, I, can, I can identify with someone, for example, that has a same-sex attraction, let's say. I don't have a same-sex attraction, and, and that's not a particular sin struggle that I mm-hmm. have, have had, but I can identify with someone like that because I have had broken sexual thoughts, and I can come alongside them not as like, oh, now I'm righteous because I know Jesus, but man, you know what? I need Jesus to save me from my brokenness, whatever it may be, just like this person needs Jesus to save them from their brokenness. So I'm not like joining them in that sin or joining them in those thoughts to identify with them, but I'm, I'm coming alongside them with mercy and with compassion. And, and, and I would say, and also, and this kind of gets to your point, Lou, trying to speak to them, whether it's in the same language or in a different language, but trying to speak to them in ways that they can understand and, I, and trying to come alongside of them with a, helping them to see what Christ has done for them in a way that they can understand it. Obviously, as you, <clears throat> as you counsel people, if you can identify from personal experience with what the person you're counseling um, is going through, it does make you more sure. of an effective counsel, counselor. But of course, the, the more important thing than the experience is knowing what the Bible says about the particular experience. But my point is, you know, practically speaking, the, the best way for us to identify with people is just not to talk too much at front first, yeah. but ask questions. I mean, we have to, the Bible says in Proverbs 20 and verse 5, counsel, plans, whatever the Hebrew word is, in the heart of man is deep waters, a wise man draws it out. So, I mean, you really have to listen and develop a, a relationship and ask questions and get them to explain to you their culture or their struggle or whatever it is before you give advice uh, in many contexts. You know, the, the Proverbs 18.2 says, uh, a fool has no delight in understanding, but only in giving his own opinion. And, um, you know, I, I, I remember one time I was thinking about going to be a lifetime missionary in, um, <clears throat> in England, and I spoke with a very wise pastor, and, uh, and, he, and he had seen Mary, many Americans come over with the, you know, American cowboy attitude, we're going to come over and show you how to do Christianity kind of a thing. And he said something that just always stuck with me. He said, Lou, if you come over here, you know, you need to think as though you're going to India, not England, because it's the same language, but the culture is different. Just because the language is the same doesn't mean we think, we act, we feel we're motivated the way Americans are. And that always stuck with me. We have to learn the culture. We have to learn about the person if we want to have a grounds of, of um, um, being able to speak into their lives with impact. And, and of course, that's exactly what Jesus has done for us. He has, in order to save us, he hasn't avoided us. He hasn't colonized us. He's identified with us. 
And it's actually his mercy, his compassion. Um, it, it's his becoming like us that actually changes our heart mm-hmm. and changes our life. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's one of those in terms of drawing actual lines there. It, 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 it de- it's determined, it's determined by case on a case by case basis. Right. right. Um, and those are really good things to be talking about. Like mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons I think it's good to be in a group. Um, you know, so for example, I really have compassion on the people in my office place. They go out drinking every night after work. Should I go out with them every night after work? Well, the, probably the answer there is like, go out with them like one night a week after work and get, a beer with them mm-hmm. and identify with them in that way. Don't sin. Don't do anything that would be sinful. Don't create a habit that's going to lead to sin. So create some boundaries, but, but show them that you care about them enough to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's an example, you know, and, and but again, these are case by case. It's hard to really go down this road. Mm-hmm. Do you have something else you want to say? This? Yeah. So I had a question. Um, you know, there may be people listening who are like, you know what? You know, I, I feel like the Lord may be leading me to do some kind of overseas to mission to like go and 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 reach the nations to pick up my life and move it overseas for the sake of the gospel. How does that person discern God's calling? Yeah, uh, I would say that your next step, if God is, if if you're really having, I would just say go ahead and talk to a pastor now. You know, uh, go ahead and. Um, sit down with me or with you or with, you know, one of your pastors and just say, look, I think that the Lord is putting this in my heart. In fact, I had a guy yesterday come to me and say that very same thing. And uh, my advice to him was, why don't you get through this missions conference? Like, why don't you come to the missions conference, make time to engage with the different guys that are coming, ask them some questions, see what's, you know, going on in their life. Um, and, uh, and, and just begin to say, okay, is this something that that I can see myself doing? And is this something that the church begins to affirm mm-hmm. in my life? And so, yeah, I mean, I would say a good first step is just go ahead and start talking to a pastor. Maybe a short-term mission trip. Go on a short-term mission trip, do some exploration. Um, and then the, the other thing I would say is, ask yourself the question, am I actually doing this work here and now? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it, you know, are you doing the work of evangelism? Like, and I'm not talking to people. I'm not even saying like, oh, I feel called to the nations. You know, you go to Clarkston, obviously, and engage with people from all different kinds of nations. I'm just saying like, do you, do you talk to the people in your apartment building about Jesus? Like, Mm -hmm. are you doing any form of evangelism now? You know, I think David Platt, I remember has said, we don't believe in transformation by aviation, meaning that you become a disciple maker just by getting on a plane and going to a different context. Um, and so are you a disciple maker now? And I think your church will be able to help you discern that. Mm-hmm. That's good. So, well, guys, Lou, great comments. Grateful for you. Remember that syntax. Okay. Great remember that great ringtone. Remember yeah. the syntax. Yeah. Remember syntax and silent mode. Those are two takeaways from Lou Priolo. So for Lou Priolo, Blake Rogers, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.